two, chapter seven of two treatises on civil government. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nikki Sullivan. Chapter seven of political or civil society. God, having made man such a creature that in his own judgment it was not good for him to be alone, putting him under strong obligations of necessity, convenience, and inclination to drive him into society, as well as fitted him with understanding and language to continue and enjoy it. The first society was between man and wife, which gave beginning to that between parents and children, to which, in time, that between master and servant came to be added and though all these might and commonly did meet together and make up but one family wherein the master or mistress of it had some sort of rule proper to a family each of these or all together came short of political society as we shall see if we consider the different ends ties and bounds of each of these Conjugal society is made by voluntary compact between man and woman, and though it consists chiefly in such a communion and right in one another's bodies as is necessary to its chief end, procreation, yet it draws with it mutual support and assistance, and a communion of interests, too, as necessary not only to unite their care and affection, but also necessary to their common offspring, who have a right to be nourished and maintained by them, till they are able to provide for themselves. For the end of conjunction between male and female, being not barely procreation, but the continuation of the species, this conjunction betwixt male and female ought to last, even after procreation, so long as it is necessary to the nourishment and support of the young ones, who are to be sustained by those that got them, till they are able to shift and provide for themselves. This rule, which the infinite wise Maker hath set to the works of His hands, we find the inferior creatures steadily obey. In those viviparous animals which feed on grass, the conjunction between male and female lasts no longer than the very act of copulation, because the teat of the dam, being sufficient to nourish the young, till it be able to feed on grass, the male only begets, but concerns not himself for the female or young, to whose sustenance he can contribute nothing. But in beasts of prey the conjunction lasts longer because the dam not being able well to subsist herself, and nourish her numerous offspring by her own prey alone, a more laborious, as well as more dangerous way of living, than by feeding on grass, the assistance of the male is necessary to the maintenance of their common family, which cannot subsist till they are able to pray for themselves, but by the joint care of the male and the female. The same is to be observed in all birds, except some domestic ones, where plenty of food excuses the cock from feeding, and taking care of the younger brood, whose young, needing food in the nest, the cock and hen continue mates, till the young are able to use their wing and provide for themselves. And herein, I think, lies the chief, if not the only reason, why the male and female in mankind are tied to a longer conjunction than other creatures, viz. because the female is capable of conceiving, 
and de facto is commonly with child again, and brings forth, too, a new birth, long before the former is out of a dependency for support on his parents' help, and able to shift for himself, and has all the assistance is due to him from his parents, whereby his father, who is bound to take care for those he hath begot, is under an obligation to continue in conjugal society with the same woman longer than other creatures, whose young, being able to subsist of themselves before the time of procreation returns again, the conjugal bond dissolves of itself, and they are at liberty, till Hymen at his usual anniversary season summons them again to choose new mates. Wherein one cannot but admire the wisdom of the great Creator, who having given to man foresight, and an ability to lay up for the future, as well as to supply the present necessity, hath made it necessary that society of man and wife should be more lasting than of male and female amongst other creatures, that so their industry might be encouraged, and their interest better united, to make provision and lay up goods for their common issue, which uncertain mixture, or easy and frequent solutions of conjugal society, would mightily disturb. But though these are ties upon mankind, which make the conjugal bonds more firm and lasting in man than the other species of animals, yet it would give one reason to inquire why this compact, where procreation and education are secured, and inheritance taken care for, may not be made determinable either by consent or at a certain time or upon certain conditions as well as any other voluntary compacts there being no necessity in the nature of the thing nor in the ends of it that it should always be for life i mean to such as are under no restraint of any positive law which ordains all such contracts to be perpetual but the husband and wife though they have but one common concern yet have different understandings will unavoidably sometimes have different wills too it therefore being necessary that the last determination i e the rule should be placed somewhere it naturally falls to the man's share as the abler and the stronger but this reaching but to the things of their common interest in property leaves the wife in full and free possession of what by contract is her peculiar right, and gives the husband no more power over her life than she has over his, the power of the husband being so far from that of an absolute monarch, that the wife has in many cases a liberty to separate from him where natural right or their contract allows it whether that contract be made by themselves in the state of nature or by the customs or laws of the country they live in and the children upon such separation fall to the father or mother's lot as such contract does determine for all the ends of marriage being to be obtained under a political government as well as in the state of nature the civil magistrate doth not abridge the right or power of either naturally necessary to those ends, viz. procreation and mutual support and assistance whilst they are together. 
but only decides any controversy that may arise between man and wife about them. If it were otherwise, and that absolute sovereignty and power of life and death naturally belonged to the husband, and were necessary to the society between man and wife, there could be no matrimony in any of those countries where the husband is allowed no such absolute authority. But the ends of matrimony requiring no such power in the husband, the condition of conjugal society put it not in him, it being not at all necessary to that state. Conjugal society could subsist and attain its ends without it, nay, community of goods, and the power over them, mutual assistance and maintenance, and other things belonging to the conjugal society, might be varied and regulated by that contract which unites man and wife in that society, as far as may consist with procreation and the bringing up of children, till they could shift for themselves, nothing being necessary to any society that is not necessary to the ends for which it is made. The society betwixt parents and children, and their distinct rights and powers belonging respectively to them, I have treated of so largely in the foregoing chapter, that I shall not here need to say anything of it, and I think it is plain that it is far different from a politic society. Master and servant are names as old as history, but given to those of far different condition, for a free man makes himself a servant to another by selling him, for a certain time, the service he undertakes to do, in exchange for wages he is to receive. And though this commonly puts him into the family of his master, and under the ordinary discipline thereof, yet it gives the master but a temporary power over him, and no greater than what is contained in the contract between them. But there is another sort of servants, which by a peculiar name we call slaves, who being captives taken in a just war, are by the right of nature subjected to the absolute dominion and arbitrary power of their masters. These men having, as I say, forfeited their lives, and with it their liberties, and lost their estates, and being in the state of slavery, not capable of any property, cannot in that state be considered as any part of civil society, the chief end whereof is the preservation of property. Let us therefore consider a master of a family with all these subordinate relations of wife, children, servants, and slaves, united under the domestic rule of a family, which, what resemblance soever it may have in its order, offices in number two, with a little commonwealth, yet is very far from it, both in its constitution, power, and end, or if it must be thought a monarchy, and the paterfamilias the absolute monarch in it, absolute monarchy will have but a very shattered and short power, when it is plain, by what has been said before, that the master of the family has a very distinct and differently limited power, both as to time and extent, over those several persons that are in it, for expecting the slave, and the family is as much a family, and his power as paterfamilias as great, whether there be any slaves in his family or no, 
He has no legislative power of life and death over any of them, and none too but what a mistress of a family may have as well as he. And he certainly can have no absolute power over the whole family, who has but a very limited one over every individual in it. But how a family, or any other society of men, differ from that which is properly political society, we shall best see by considering wherein political society itself consists. Man, being born, as has been proved, with a title to perfect freedom and an uncontrolled enjoyment of all the rights and privileges of the law of nature, equally with any other man or number of men in the world, hath by nature a power not only to preserve his property, that is, his life, liberty, and estate, against the injuries and attempts of other men, but to judge of and punish the breaches of that law in others, as he is persuaded the offence deserves, even with death itself, in crimes where the heinousness of the fact, in his opinion, requires it. But because no political society can be, nor subsist, without having in itself the power to preserve the property, and in order thereunto, punish the offences of all those of that society. There, and there only, is political society, where every one of the members hath quitted his natural power, resigned it up into the hands of the community, in all cases that exclude him not from appealing for protection to the law established by it. And thus all private judgment of every particular member being excluded, the community comes to be umpire by settled standing rules, indifferent, and the same to all parties, and by men having authority from the community, for the execution of those rules, decides all the differences that may happen between any members of that society concerning any matter of right and punishes those offences which any member hath committed against the society, with such penalties as the law has established, whereby it is easy to discern who are and who are not in political society together. Those who are united into one body, and have a common established law and judicature to appeal to, with authority to decide controversies between them, and punish offenders, are in civil society one with another. But those who have no such common people, I mean on earth, are still in a state of nature, each being, where there is no other, judge for himself, and executioner, which is, as I have before showed it, the perfect state of nature. And thus the commonwealth comes by a power to set down what punishment shall belong to the several transgressions which they think worthy of it, committed amongst the members of that society, which is the power of making laws, as well as it has the power to punish any injury done unto any of its members by any one that is not of it, which is the power of war and peace and all this for the preservation of the property of all the members of that society, as far as it is possible. 
but though every man who has entered into civil society and is become a member of any commonwealth has thereby quitted his power to punish offences against the law of nature in prosecution of his own private judgment yet with the judgment of offences which he has given up to the legislative in all cases where he can appeal to the magistrate he has given a right to the commonwealth to employ his force for the execution of the judgments of the commonwealth whenever he should be called to it which indeed are his own judgments they being made by himself or his representative and herein we have the original of the legislative and executive power of civil society which is to judge by standing laws how far offences are to be punished when committed within the commonwealth and also to determine by occasional judgments founded on the present circumstances of the fact how far injuries from without are to be vindicated and in both these to employ all the force of all the members when there shall be need wherever therefore any number of men are so united into one society as to quit every one his executive power of the law of nature and to resign it to the public there and there only is a political or civil society and this is done wherever any number of men in the state of nature enter into society to make one people one body politic under one supreme government or else when any one joins himself to and incorporates with any government already made for hereby he authorizes the society or which is all one the legislative thereof to make laws for him as the public good of the society shall require to the execution whereof his own assistance as to his own decrees is due and this puts men out of a state of nature into that of a commonwealth by setting up a judge on earth with authority to determine all the controversies and redresses of the injuries that may happen to any member of the commonwealth which judge is the legislative or magistrates appointed by it and wherever there are a number of men however associated that have no such decisive power to appeal to there they are still in the state of nature hence it is evident that absolute monarchy which by some men is counted the only government in the world is indeed inconsistent with civil society and so can be no form of civil government at all for the end of civil society being to avoid and remedy those inconveniences of the state of nature which necessarily follow from every man's being judge in his own case by setting up a known authority to which every one of that society may appeal upon any injury received or controversy that may arise and which every one of the society ought to obey wherever any persons are who have not such an authority to appeal to for the decision of any difference between them there those persons are still in the state of nature and so is every absolute prince in respect to those who are under his dominion 
for he being supposed to have all, both legislative and executive power, in himself alone, there is no judge to be found. No appeal lies open to any one who may fairly and indifferently, and with authority, decide, and from whose decision relief and redress may be expected of any injury or inconveniency that may be suffered from the prince, or by his order, so that such a man, however entitled, czar or grand seigneur or how you please is as much in the state of nature with all under his dominion as he is with the rest of mankind for wherever any two men are who have no standing rule and common judge to appeal to on earth for the determination of controversies of right betwixt them there they are still in the state of nature and under all the inconveniences of it with only this woeful difference to the subject or rather slave of an absolute prince that whereas in the ordinary state of nature he has a liberty to judge of his right and according to the best of his power to maintain it now whenever his property is invaded by the will and order of his monarch he has not only no appeal as those in society ought to have but as if he were degraded from the common state of rational creatures is denied a liberty to judge of or to defend his right and so is exposed to all the misery and inconveniences that a man can fear from one who being in the unrestrained state of nature is yet corrupted with flattery and armed with power for he that thinks absolute power purifies men's blood and corrects the baseness of human nature need read but the history of this or any other age to be convinced of the contrary he that would have been insolent and injurious in the woods of america would not probably be much better in a throne where perhaps learning and religion shall be found out to justify all that he shall do to his subjects and the sword presently silence all those that dare question it for what the protection of an absolute monarch is what kind of fathers of their countries it makes princes be and to what degree of happiness and security it carries a civil society where this sort of government is grown to perfection he that will look into the late relation of Cylon may easily see. In absolute monarchies indeed, as well as other governments of the world, the subjects have an appeal to the law, and judges to decide any controversies and restrain any violence that may happen betwixt the subjects themselves, one amongst another. This every one thinks necessary, and believes he deserves to be thought as declared an enemy to society and mankind who should go about to take it away. But whether this be from true love of mankind and society, and such a charity as we owe all one another, there is reason to doubt. For this is no more than what every man, who loves his own power, profit, or greatness, may and naturally must do keep those animals from hurting or destroying one another who labor and drudge only for his pleasure and advantage and so are taken care of not out of any love the master has for them but love for himself and the profit they bring him for if it be asked 
what security, what fence is there, in such a state, against the violence and oppression of this absolute ruler? The very question can scarce be borne. They are ready to tell you that it deserves death only to ask after safety. Betwixt subject and subject, they will grant there must be measures, laws and judges, for their mutual peace and security. But as for the ruler, he ought to be absolute, and is above all such circumstances, because he has power to do more hurt and wrong, it is right when he does it. To ask how you may be guarded from harm or injury, on that side where the strongest hand is to do it, is presently the voice of faction and rebellion. And if, when men quitting the state of nature entered into society, they agreed that all of them but one should be under the restraint of laws, but that he should still retain all the liberty of the state of nature, increased with power and made licentious by impunity. This is to think that men are so foolish that they take care to avoid what mischiefs may be done them by polecats or foxes, but are content, nay, think it safety, to be devoured by lions. But whatever flatterers may talk to amuse people's understandings, it hinders not men from feeling, and when they perceive that any man, in what station soever, is out of the bounds of the civil society which they are of, and that they have no appeal on earth against him, they may receive from him, they are apt to think themselves in the state of nature, in respect of him whom they find to be so and to take care, as soon as they can, to have that safety and security in civil society for which it was first instituted, and for which only they entered into it. And therefore, though perhaps at first, as shall be showed more at large hereafter in the following part of this discourse, some one good and excellent man, having got a pre-eminency among the rest, had this deference paid to his goodness and virtue, as to a kind of natural authority, that the chief rule, which arbitration of their differences, by a tacit consent, developed into his hands, without any other caution but the assurance they had of his uprightness and wisdom, yet when time, giving authority, and, as some men would persuade us, sacredness of customs, which the negligent and unforeseen innocence of the first ages began, had brought in successors of another stamp, the people finding their properties not secure under the government, as then it was, whereas government has no other end but the preservation of property, could never be safe, nor at rest, nor think themselves in civil society, till the legislature was placed in collective bodies of men, calling them senate, parliament, or what you please, by which means every single person became subject, equally with other the meanest men, to those laws which he himself, as part of the legislative, had established, nor could any one by his own authority avoid the force of the law when once made, nor by any pretense of superiority plead exemption thereby to license his own, or the miscarriages of any of his dependents. No man in civil society can be exempted from the laws of it. 
For if any man may do what he thinks fit, and there be no appeal on earth for redress or security against any harm he shall do, I ask whether he be not perfectly still in the state of nature, and so can be no part or member of that civil society, unless any one will say, the state of nature and civil society are one and the same thing, which I have never yet found any one so great a patron of anarchy as to affirm. End of chapter 7 Recording by Nikki Sullivan, Chicago, 